Hello and welcome to Virtual Philanthropy. I'm your host, EJ Jacobs. Virtual Philanthropy is a virtual tour of the philanthropic process led by someone in philanthropy in an effort to demystify the process of going from prospective grantee partner to actual grantee partner. However, today we're going to go through a bit of a detour, or rather a rest stop, with this podcast. While we understand that more than ever financial resources are needed, a wellness check for ourselves and for our organizations is also needed now more than ever. Here to take us on a virtual wellness tour is life coach expert and author of Middle Essence, Barbara Waxen. Barbara, how are you doing? I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Before we dive into anything, would you like to tell people about yourself? I feel like I do such a poor job of explaining what people do, so I'd rather have them do it themselves. Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Because what I do is unusual, I guess. Uh, I'm a gerontologist, and for those of you who don't know what the heck that means, uh, a gerontologist is someone who actually is an expert in adult development, because Just because we're grown-ups doesn't mean we're all grown-up, and wisdom and aging. So that's my area of focus, and as an executive and life coach, what I've studied in addition to that is how we cultivate our energy so that we can literally and figuratively show up in the most powerful and impactful ways, and that counts both as ourselves as leaders and for leading our organizations. There's organizational health that relates to this in the same way. So uh, there's a whole lot more about me as well, but for the purposes of this uh, visit, uh, that probably is a pretty good description. I think there's so many ways to go, especially when you talk about the being the gerontologist and the idea of where we think we should be at our age versus where we are. And tying that into what we're talking about with the organizations and a wellness check, I think there's this feeling of the wellness of our organization should be something that should weather something like COVID or weather a great pandemic or a great crisis. And yet we find ourselves struggling. Even when we thought we were on good footing, we find ourselves struggling. And obviously the moments that we thought we were not doing so well, we really find ourselves struggling. And it doesn't matter if the organization is an older organization or a new organization, everyone's going through the same feeling of uh, unpreparedness for something like this. So where does an organization go in that mindset? Where should they be looking at focusing on when they're thinking that I should be prepared for something like this? We're we're, we're a 10-year-old organization, a 20-year-old organization, or five-year-old organization. Why are we not prepared for this? Excellent question. Uh, The first thing I would say, and I say to people when they come to me with all kinds of shoulds, is uh, I say to them, stop shooting all over yourself, (laughs) because (laughs) that's not going to get us anywhere. Um, But we do that. We have expectations for ourselves, for our families, our communities, and our workplaces that actually run counter to the ways that we actually can enable ourselves to fulfill our potential. And what I mean by that is that we are conditioned to think that if I work harder than anybody else, if we push to meet these goals and metrics, we're going to do better. We're going to work longer. We'll survive in this climate. But that's not the case. Working harder isn't the key to success. Working smarter is, and that may sound trite, but the truth is when we become human doings as opposed to human beings, we lose 
sight of what we're all about because whether you're on the philanthropist side or you're the organization, we have a double bottom line. We've got the mission to serve and we need the organization to be financially healthy. And in order to do that, we have to recognize that we are under stress again, as individuals and as organizations. And there's no should when it comes to facing what we are facing now. There is a pandemic, uh, the likes of which we've really historically never seen, even though there's been comparisons to the Spanish flu. There is an economic reckoning. And now in the United States in particular, there's a racial reckoning. And you put all these three things together and then you look at how it's impacting the philanthropic world and the world of nonprofits trying to meet one of the bottom lines, uh, the mission during this time, and we find ourselves kind of lost. So I've got tools that we'll talk about that will help. I'll ask you one question before we go into the next section. We always talk to, as a donor, as a former donor, we talk to nonprofits about not putting the you know, the cart before the horse. And I think nowadays we don't recognize which one is the horse or which one is the cart when we think about our well-being versus the organization's well-being. What should we be telling people in terms of what is that horse or what is the cart and how do we move forward in a way that makes more sense? That's so important. And what I'm going to share with you isn't rocket science, but it is really hard to do. And it has to do with self-care. A lot of people hear the term self-care and they think it's selfish. And it is anything but the case. Rosa Parks said, and I just learned this, in fact, um, self-care is part of resistance. Self-care is how we stay strong in the face of any kind of challenge that we're facing. And we as the leaders of organizations and we as the philanthropists fueling purposeful work in organizations need to make sure that our foundation is strong so that we can have the clarity of purpose, the clarity to understand what decisions need to be prioritized during this time so we don't go into fear mode. I mean, there are a lot of organizations that I've been uh, speaking to as a coach who are in a mindset. We call it this reptilian brain. They're in this mindset that has to do with scarcity. They think, how do I save my organization because we may go under? And I'm trying to get them to ask the question, how do I advance my mission during this time, which is a different way to look at the same question. They, they say, well, we're in a place where we need to survive, we need to merge, or we need to close. Those are our three options. And I'll ask them to get curious about the various scenarios going back again to that bottom line of the mission. How can you look at your mission so you can reach your full potential? in the face of all of the things that exist in our environment now. And then the other thing that I find that people are doing that makes them feel unprepared right now is that people take on a victim mindset. And make no bones about it, mindset is everything. Our perception is our reality. So I say to people, cultivate your reality carefully. 
So when people come to me and say, this is happening to us and we need to respond and we don't know how to respond, I'll ask them, or rather than ask them, I will empower them to make a decision. And that decision is, how are you going to show up as a leader today? So we are facing these challenges that we haven't faced before and understanding how to shift our mindsets to a positive mindset and get out of scarcity mode is the first kind of key to not only our survival, but our success. Now, before we move on to uh, the virtual wellness tour, I'd love to give you an opportunity, like I give all the donors who come on, even though you're not a donor in this respect, a, mm-hmm. a chance to shamelessly plug something that they're doing. Obviously, it would be great if it fits in with what we're talking about now, but really, it's shameless, so it can be whatever you want it to be. I thought about that question, and right now it's a little overwhelming because I, if you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it starts with the most basic needs for food and shelter during these times, uh, I'm involved right now with extra food. So I'm very much involved in food resourcing. So when there's leftover food in markets, in restaurants, uh, from all kinds of places, what we do is we collect it um, and then we bring it to churches, to nursing homes, to places, to um, food kitchens and food banks. And it serves not only feeding people healthful, organic, at times, food, but also is better for the environment, right? We're not creating more waste. Absolutely. We're recycling, reusing things. So extra food is um, my shameless plug for today. That's not too shameless. So well done. <laughs> uh, without any further ado, I would say take us on this virtual wellness tour. And I'm thinking of when I think about the wellness tour, I'm thinking about pretty much what I've mentioned there before, the leader of a small grassroots organization or an ED of a larger one who have basically just seen tens or maybe hundreds or even maybe millions of dollars just disappear, uh, whether it was committed money or money that they expected to get in some other form. Uh, what's the first step for them in terms of taking care of themselves as well as their organizations? The first thing is to get in what I call game shape for the leadership that they're facing. It's important for people to, when you think about running a marathon or training for anything you've ever done in your life, you've created a plan. You've looked up ways in which you can get the right kind of training. And you've fueled yourself intellectually, perhaps, if you were training for a chess match or with literal fuel for your body if you were training for some sort of race. So I've done a lot of studying about how do we cultivate our leadership energy, our personal energy, so that we can actually show up to inspire others, have a clarity of mind, not get mired in the distractions and know how to set boundaries. So let me share with you what I call the five essential elements. The first most foundational element has to do as a leader with your exercise and your nutrition. You can't fake it. You actually have to fuel yourself with the things that are going to help you thrive. 
So leaders with the energy and focus to get things done consistently monitor their health. So if you haven't gotten a baseline lab result and indication from your doctor about what your health is, make an appointment as soon as COVID's over and you can do so to get your baseline. Eat a diet that's right for you. Exercise regularly. And here's a critical one. Listen to your body. I can't tell you how many leaders I work with who don't listen to their body and they either sprain something and they're in crutches or they're exhausted, which brings me into the second foundational part of the five essential elements, rest and renewal. I call that out as its own element because people understand or misunderstand, I should say, the importance of restoration and rest itself. Fewer than 2% of the population, fewer than two out of every 100 people can deal with anything less than seven hours of sleep, which basically means we all need between seven and eight hours of sleep. And if we were to take a poll, which I often do on these kind of webinars, we would find that very few of us get that much sleep. And yet we know that in the middle of the afternoon, we're foggy. We feel like we're having senior moments. They're not senior moments, they're exhaustion. So understand that grounded, resilient, also emotionally consistent leaders, which is essential, get the sleep they need and engage in rituals they find centering. What does that look like? It looks like scheduling technology-free time on a consistent basis. It looks like not having your phone as your clock by your bedside. There is an underlying connection that we have with technology that is not serving us when it goes beyond a, per, a certain point. And certainly bringing our phones into our bedroom so we're available 24-7 is not healthy for us. So untether yourself, get the rest you need. So the first two, exercise and nutrition, rest and renewal. The third of the five essential elements has to do with what I call focus and growth. And it goes back to some of those senior moments. And it also has everything to do with innovation and being able to plan those scenarios I talked about earlier in the call. When you are looking in the face of other organizations, your size, or filling a, fulfilling a similar mission who are looking at closing or merging, how is it that you can focus and have equanimity to say, what is best going to serve our mission? What can I do without being too attached to any outcome so that I can actually create a new reality that will serve us? And in order to do that, one of the most important things is that you know that multitasking does not work. Research has shown us that. What I will be a proponent of is what I call bundling. So if you feel like I have no time for exercise, there are certain clients or there are certain donors that you might say, let's have a meeting and rather than having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, how about taking a walk together? You're getting some movement, you're having that meeting. Those kinds of things are bundling, but multitasking doesn't work. Also, people who feel like their acuity, their mental acuity is strong, 
actually work out their brain. So we're used to thinking about, I know I got to go to the gym and I know I've got to work out. When you're thinking about focus and growth and you think about the fact that we're used to going to the gym, we're not in the physical business of plowing fields. We're not in the business of working our bodies out professionally, so to speak. But we are in the business of intellectual property. We're in the business of innovating, of communicating, of thinking through different scenarios that are going to help us lead our organizations into the future. So why not think about exercising your brain, exercising your mind in ways that are going to serve the work that you do? It ends up looking like what we call self-care. But the result is you're going to have a clarity of focus. You're going to be able to prioritize. And you're going to find that you're getting more done in less time. It is a proven fact. So stretch your mind. Develop creative pursuits. You don't have to feel guilty about it because the research shows your brain will thank you for it. And you'll be feeling more sharp and getting more done. The fourth area of the five essential elements, so far we've had exercise and nutrition, rest and renewal, focus and growth, and now I want to talk about joy and passion. I feel like we have a national obsession in the U.S. at least with this idea of purpose. We feel like everybody needs to know their sense of purpose as though we have one purpose, and that if we don't know what that is, we're suddenly not doing our jobs or feeling less than, or we feel like if I'm not Mother Teresa, it's not important enough. So I like to think about it as joy and passion. If you don't know what your, I call big P purpose is right now, then settling for a little P purpose, what brings you joy? Put that in your daily diet And make it happen because balanced, successful leaders train themselves to find meaning and joy in the small moments of life. Even if you're working for an organization for whom the mission means everything to you, you still might feel like you're losing your way. You still might feel like you're burning or rusting out. So go back to those little P purpose moments of joy and what I call feed yourself. It helps you realign your values with your actions so you can really make the difference that you want to make in small and large ways. Uh, Although it's a bad analogy right now, probably, I always say that joy and passion are kind of like viruses that happily get transmitted to those around you. The last piece of the five essential elements is an unusual one. I would say that in all of my research, and I've been studying personal energy, leadership energy, and how the most successful leaders thrive for over 10 years. And I am the only one that I know of who's included our relationship with what I call time and place as one of the five essential elements. Because so many people will come to me as a coach and say, one of the things I want to hire you for, Barbara, has to do with time management. And to them, and perhaps to you, I'd say, you can't manage time. Einstein showed us that time warps, right? So when we come to any action and think, I'm going to manage my time better, 
we're bound to failure. Here's what does work. What works is thinking, I'm going to manage the time I have, uh, the energy I have right now in the time available. What is the energy you have? For example, for me, it's early in the day. So rather than clearing the low-hanging fruit of emails and easy phone calls, I think if I got one thing done today, what would that be? And typically it's the most challenging thing. So I clear the desk and I do that thing first when I have the most energy. So think about it. When do you have the most energy? And tomorrow, can you think, I'm going to do the most challenging thing during that time? And see if it makes a difference for you. I can actually attest to that one as well, because I feel like I found myself doing, making that mistake at the, at the start where I, I'm waking up in the morning, I've got all this energy, then doing all the things that don't take much effort. And then when the thing that comes with the most effort is in front of me, I'm thinking, oh, no, I just I'll take a break here. I'll take a nap there. I just don't have that energy. But now I've sort of switched that. And the first thing I do when I wake up is what's that big thing I need to do for the day? Get that knocked out. And then I find time later on to do the other things that are quite easy to do beautiful you've got the secret that's the secret and it's really makes the difference between what enables some leaders to move past and get through challenge and others really to stay stuck in that kind of vortex of not quite getting it or not having the clarity because they're not giving themselves the benefit of using these five essential kind of elements. Um, The other piece about time is research has shown that we work best in about 90-minute increments, up to 90 minutes. So you should be taking a break. It can be five minutes or less. It doesn't have to be a long break, but every 90 minutes or so, get up from your desk, breathe, catch yourself actually breathing and maybe go down the hall and say hello to someone and check on how they're doing, whether it's at your home, because we're all working from home these days or someone in your office. So walk around, get some movement every 90 minutes or so. And the other thing about time and place and God and your energy, and this is something that I find both on the philanthropist side and on the nonprofit leader side is saying no and protecting your boundaries is really, really important and justified and you're worth it. You, If you're not going to protect those boundaries, nobody will. So understanding that if you can say yes with certainty, you can also say no with compassion and stick to it. There is a 25-question easy uh, true-false quiz that you can take. It's available for free. Um, We're going to have it put up, I think, with this podcast so you can access it. Or you can go to my website, barbarawaxman.com, and also download it for free. And it's a good way to understand your, your baseline. Normally, these podcasts are predominantly for nonprofits, but I think this one we've made a space for the philanthropists as well because they're also in a space where things are unfamiliar. That's the individual donor who automatically is out there saying, okay, I can't fund what I normally would fund just because of what's happening with the pandemic, as well as program officers, program directors, people who are working in larger foundations who are seeing the amount of money that they actually can work on shrink or just seeing so many more people in need and feeling overwhelmed and feeling like they can actually get those things done. What would be 
I won't necessarily say the tour, but what's something that they need to be looking out for as well? First, uh, I'll go back to something I said earlier, and that has to do with mindset. You may have a small foundation. You may be a philanthropist who doesn't have a foundation, but you give gifts out of your personal budget, and it's shrunk. It doesn't matter. It's all relative. You are being a provider of resources, a protector of people in making a difference. So continue to look at what you have to offer and not focus on it's not as much as it it was before. Everyone has to get all hands on deck and continue to be that kind of light out there um, so that we can all be of service. So have a mindset of service and give yourself a break in the process and acknowledge all the things that you are doing as opposed to the things you may not be able to do as much of. I normally go into the do's and don'ts at this moment, but I feel like you've just given us so many do's in terms of (laughs) what we should be doing for ourselves, whether we are a donor, a nonprofit, or just a human being. So I won't maybe ask you to give me any more do's, but maybe some don'ts in terms of what should we not be doing during this time? And mm-hmm. carry that beyond, not just now, but obviously, especially now. Don't let yourself lose your confidence during this time. There are a lot of people who feel like, myself included, that everything is quicksand because the world is changing under our feet. Don't lose the confidence that you deserve to have about what you care about and whatever difference that you can make. A lot of people are just feeling so shaken right now that they're losing their confidence. So don't lose your confidence. I'd also say, don't think you have all the right answers. When we get scared, when we lose our confidence, ironically, sometimes we get really stuck in, I've seen this before, when the economy is tanked and here's what I've learned and here's what we need to do. I really want to encourage all of you to have what I call a beginner's mind. And a beginner's mind has to do with thinking that you're a student. We are all learning in this uncharted territory. So have confidence. Glean the wisdom you have from your experience. And at the same time, know that you're a student of the world and be open to seeing things in new ways, trying new things at the risk of failure At this point, most of the people listening on this call, I'm guessing you, like me, have failed before, and we're still here. So keep your confidence and also be a learner, be a student going forward. It's funny you mentioned that. I've been doing a lot of uh, teaching tennis. Everyone that knows me knows I love to play tennis. And I've got a lot of friends here who just want to get out and just do something. And they're out there and they're hitting the ball and they're going crazy. And they're like, oh, I don't know what I do. So I normally send these people a video just of misses from Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer. All I showed them were basically like 30 minutes of them hitting the ball into the stands, shaking forehands and backhands. (laughs) And I'm sure that I've been there in front of people. Obviously, now I just send it to them remotely. But I've seen the reaction. The first few minutes, they don't know what's happening. And by minute five or six, they get it. They realize... These people make mistakes, loads of mistakes. They don't hit the ball perfectly every time. And I think that just thinking about what I try to sort of teach them is what we need to learn in this space as well, is that we're going to make mistakes. We just It's human nature for us to make mistakes and not be perfect. And yet we are still here, like you said. I think that's brilliantly said. 
Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, you're reminding me of something, and maybe this is going to fall into your shameless plug categories, but it is not meant this way. When people ask about coaching and they think, why would CEOs, why would executive directors, why would people making tremendous impact have a coach? And I turn to the world of sports like Nadal, who has multiple coaches for even the smallest things because he wants to have a level of excellence. And similarly, just because we're really good at something doesn't mean that having an objective strategic thought partner to make us better and have enable us to have the impact we want doesn't make sense. We do it for our kids, right? We get kids tutors and coaches because we think they're still developing. And I guess I'm bringing it up not only because I'm a coach, but as a gerontologist, just because we're grown-ups doesn't mean we're not still growing up and developing and getting better. And I mean that's what makes me passionate about the work I am doing as a coach because I get to help people I consider to be game changers continue to change the game and have an impact, which is I really feel more important now than ever. Well, this is the part where I start peppering you with questions and I get questions from other people. So I'm peppering you with other people's questions. Everything is being done quite differently this time. I'm now taking a question from a donor as well as a nonprofit just to sort of talk about what they should be doing in this space in terms of well-being. And the first question comes from a donor. And the question is, how can individual donors incorporate a wellness component into their grant making structure that feels authentic? but does not add too much extra work for grantees and donors? I'd say uh, I have a two-pronged answer. One, given the unchartered territory we're in, one has to do with trust. There are times that as donors we're demanding of certain metrics uh, to make sure, understandably so, that everything's on track. Right now there is an urgency to some of the needs and I would say one way to support the health of the organization that you're involved with is to lean away from some of the metrics. And if you have enough trust, say, I'm here for you. How can I support you? Here's a gift. Use it as you will. So that's the first part. The second, and I can't tell you how important this one is, is to check in with your counterpart, with the executive director or CFO, whomever you're working with, and say, how are you doing? And then say, no, really, I mean, how are you doing? How can I support you in your work? Whether or not they take you, you up on it, people, we all need to feel seen and heard and acknowledged. And so many of us assume that our counterparts feel that way but I will tell you, because a lot of them speak with me, they don't. So this is a great time to reach out, check in with someone, send a small gift that isn't meaningful in the big picture, but boy, it could be meaningful in um, a deeper way. So think about the small things, too. And the question from the nonprofit is, the nonprofit sector operates under constant pressure by the nature of the work. However, even as we realize that almost every nonprofit sustained a shock to the system, the stress levels are still through the roof, especially at our organization. I'm stressed. My staff is stressed. I have tried to reassure the staff, but I am filled with such uncertainty, and they see that. My question is, where should I start as the founder? Is this something we should deal with together as a whole? 
Is it our top level team that needs this? Or just myself that should seek counseling on how we get through this emotionally? That's a challenging question to answer because some of it has to do with the size of the organization. I work with some organizations that are quite small and I work with others that have hundreds of people and they're dispersed internationally. Um, So I would say in general, understand that stress to individuals and to organizations, stress is a killer. So identify the greatest pain points, the greatest points of stress and deal with them. And if you're not sure what the greatest points are in the organization, send out a quick survey monkey and ask people what is most stressful right now and what are one or two things we can do to help. Because if we don't ask, we won't know what the answers are. So identify where the stress is. The second thing I'd say is as the leader, as the CEO asking this, or the executive director asking this question, take the five essential elements quiz. You must be in game shape more than ever. Absolutely for this kind of work, and then share it with your leadership team. The other thing that's critical associated with this is, I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, Patrick Lencioni and his five dysfunctions of a team model. EJ, are you, are you familiar with that? I am familiar, and I'll also post something about that with this podcast. Great. Um, so I lead leadership teams in going through a day-long retreat in building the health of a team because a lot of people believe that if we have our strategy and we have our finances and we have our marketing plans and we have good leadership, we are going to be able to meet our goals. But that is less than half of the equation, both in the public nonprofit sphere and in the private company sphere. The bigger part is what people call the soft stuff, which is the hardest stuff. It's the health of the organization. It's an organization that does not have politics. And politics is measured by, we have a meeting, I walk out of the room, and EJ says to everyone else, can you believe what she just said? (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there, right? Healthy organizations are able to generate enough trust that people can disagree around the table And then even if they disagree, they can come to some sort of agreement to commit. So they hold one another accountable and then they reach the results. So that's the other thing I would uh, put into play in answer to that question. Well, normally we wrap these up with questions about the future. So I feel like we should still do that. Uh, Obviously a little bit different given the context of this podcast. My question I would ask is, what is something someone working in this sector should be focused on now? as well as five years from now. Something that just won't go away in time. Mm -hmm. Because I think immediately they're going to say resources and capacity building and sustainability. But going a little bit deeper, what's something that they should be focused on now as well as five years from now? Yeah. Uh, I have a particular lens and point of view. So for me, that's an easy question. Um, Look anywhere around the world And demography tells us that we're aging as countries. And what we're going to be missing in the workplace, in our ability as funders and as uh, organizations, we're going to be missing out if we don't create more intergenerational collaborations and understanding both at home and at work. 
So if we continue to have this, oh, this is what I hear from clients all the time. If they're younger, I'm tired of my boss sounding like my mother telling me what to do. And for the uh, middle lessons I work with, people who are 40, 45 and better saying, I'm tired of babysitting. We need to build bridges so that we have the healthiest, most diverse and dynamic workplaces. That's what I see as the five and 10 year plan. And with that, I would like to say thank you so much, Barbara Waxman, for joining us today and imparting such amazing knowledge that I think all of us uh, can take to heart. Thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening.